1: Yes, what's good everybody? Welcome back to Veterans Minimum. I'm your host, Nick Dais. At Nick Dayas 10 is where you can find me, Veteransminimum, veteransminimum.com is where you can find everything for the show. My guest today in the studio, once again, the first two-time guest in studio with me, my guy, David Hill. What's going on, man? Is that right? I'm the first two-time in studio? Yeah.
2: Oh, that's nice. Quite an honor. I'm excited to I'm excited to wear the jacket, man. I.
1: I'm, a, what is this, my third or fourth appearance on
2: the show too, so. so.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're my guy when it comes to just reading your stuff or reading anything that you put out as far as the future of sports betting. Uh, for those that don't know, David and I connected a couple of years ago. You did a piece about the uh, legalization of sports betting in, in New York at the time and where we've uh, our relationship has taken us now. You're like my insider as far as the the ins and outs of where are we in sports betting? What states allow it still? Where is it headed to? And that's kind of where I want to open up this conversation, man. How do you feel about the state of sports betting going into 2023? Well, it's a a timely conversation because um,
2: last month there was like a big New York Times Uh, I don't want to call it an expose, but it was definitely a big package that the New York Times did on sports betting uh, that got a lot of attention. And uh, they uh, devoted a lot of pages in the paper to uh, a number of different investigations into the industry and to its expansion around the country. And as a result of that investigation and those stories that they wrote, a number of states who have already passed uh, and are now regulating sports betting, are taking another look at it and are considering rolling some of it back or changing some of those laws. So there's been a, you know, there's there's a renewed look at what's already been done. So last time I was here, we were talking about it. It's expansion. Now I think there's reasonable, there's reason to be concerned about its, you know, (laughs) erosion. So I don't know that that's going to happen. I don't know that states are going to, that have already passed it are going to ban it. But I think we could see some changes in the way that, sports betting companies are doing business in some of these states. But we're 31 states and and the District of Columbia right now. Um, and there's five more coming. So that would make 36. So that doesn't leave a lot out there that don't currently have it. Uh, that's still fewer states than have casino gambling. You know, there's four, 40 states have casino gambling. So I think there's still some room to go in, in terms of like, you know, sports betting at least making its way into markets that permit other forms of casino gambling. And then there's 22 states that have mobile betting and four more coming. And I think that's that's a key number too because these states, those um, uh, nine states that have sports betting but it's in person only and don't have mobile, I
1: think that they're either going to have to go mobile or the or or it's going to, you know, it's going to suffer. No, you got you have to have mobile. It's a convenience thing. You want to be on your couch. If you want to, a lot of people are parlay betters. No one really straight bets. Uh, Anytime I record a show, it's like, dude, you got a straight bet. If you want to be successful in sports betting, you should straight bet. But it's not fun, right? It's not. It's not the same as a twenty dollars bet that can win you a thousand dollars. You're not going to lay twenty five dollars to win twenty. No one wants to do that. But where I'm going with this is the mobile thing is so convenient. And also, if you are someone who was actually having this conversation earlier today with Ryan, uh, one of the Sports gambling guys, that's over here with the network, sports gambling podcast network, I should say. How you know every Sunday night football game, Monday Monday night football game, you throw that big favorite at the 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 fifth leg of your parlay, and then what you'll do is you know you'll you'll take the dog on the money line as a hedge if you want to. We we talked about hedges mm-hmm. last time you were here, but you're not gonna do that if you have to physically drive in between the afternoon slate and Sunday night football to go back to the casino to put a $50 bet to hedge out, you're probably not doing that. That's right. So if you are in the sports betting industry and you're one of these states that don't allow the mobile stuff, you are losing a huge, huge percentage of your audience and your consumer base by not having that. It's true. And I think the tension
2: here is that um, in a number of these states, the legislation to pass sports betting was uh tied to that sports betting happening in racetracks or casinos in a hope that it would bring people into those casinos right and uh so they opposed mobile betting because they thought that if we had mobile betting people won't come in here and it won't help our business especially if those racetracks or casinos gambling licenses were necessary for this to work um New York is a good example like New York you know they were <laughs> they used a little they were a little crafty with it right because in New York we passed a statewide law uh through voter uh the voters passed a law and i think it was like 2013 or something like that it was a while back saying that uh we would legalize sports betting but it would be only in certain casinos upstate in these like depressed areas and the whole idea was to help those areas that were economically depressed and bring some people give people a reason to travel to those casinos or whatever and what they ended up doing was the the lobbyists for the sports betting industry argued that as long as the servers for our uh, sports book are in those casinos, we can do mobile betting from anywhere in the state. And the state government was like, okay, I like where you're going with this. And they, because they realized nobody's going to these places, right? Mm. Like a lot of people in New York didn't even know we had sports betting because nobody's going to wherever, you know, <laughs> with Seneca Falls or wherever these little Turning towns Stone. were. Yeah, no one's going yeah. there to bet. So no one even knew that this existed. So they used this little clever interpretation of the law to get mobile betting and it made the state a lot of money so you know they were like all right we'll we'll keep it this way.
1: <laughs> well that that's an issue that I see with Nevada how they 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 still want you to be in the casinos and yeah I think this is the worst place for mobile mo- mobile betting. Yeah. The the apps are terrible. Um you have to physically go and sign up in the casino first before you open up your app could barely parlay any props like I'm a big UFC better. I think UFC and the NFL are like my two favorites and the two that I'm the most successful in. But I'll never I'll never lay -500 on a fighter, but I'll lay +250 for them to win by submission. I can't parlay that +250 by finish with another fighter to win by knockout. Doesn't let you here. Yeah. It limits what your upside could be. That's why the big appeal is with some of the other apps that you see out in New York, like the FanDuel's and the DraftKings of the world, where there's a guy right now with the World Cup. Have you seen this dude? He was at Circa today watching the game. He made a $26 bet for $557,000, and he took uh, Kansas to win the national championship in basketball. He took the Warriors. He took AC Milan in soccer. He took the Rams to win the Super Bowl. And the last leg of it is France to win the World Cup. You can't do that out here. (laughs) A $26 bet for half a million dollars, it limits what the upside could be. And I wonder how many of these bets go lost, right? We're only hearing about the top 0.001% of these bets that actually have a chance to hit. But it limits what your potential upside can be. And the fun of it too, because anytime I do a anytime touchdown same game parlay when I call my mom and she's sprinting on the phone to try to put the bed in for me when she's back home on my app, I can't do that here. But also it's it's five dollars to win 50k. Yeah. Right? I don't expect to win it, but they're fun. Yeah. It it also takes the fun aspect out of it. Yeah, I don't is okay if I Plug my own
2: show. Yep. Yes. Yeah, so well, I, of course, man, you hear me? I, I host this pod, a podcast called Gamblers on um, uh, the Ringer and Spotify Podcast Network. And um this in this last season, I did a two part episode on Rufus Peabody, who's a really well known sports better. And I hung out with him during the Super Bowl. He was trying to, you know, he's trying to get down two and a half million on Super Bowl props last at the last Super Bowl earlier this year. And there's a in that episode, you know, there's this, there's multiple scenes of me and him driving to Arizona to bet because in order for him to make all these bets, he couldn't do it here in Nevada. He had to go, we had to drive deep into the middle of nowhere in Arizona to bet DraftKings, to bet FanDuel. Uh, and, you know, that's because a lot of these, uh, these, uh, what we call recreational books, offer a lot of prop bets that aren't offered by the mm-hmm. Vegas casinos and have better lines or whatever. So we had to drive out and search. He had to have people in Jersey, you know, that are were searching for certain lines that only books in Jersey had. And so it made his job a little bit harder. But, you know, the casinos in Nevada, they uh they kind of have the same idea right like they want people to come into the casino sports betting in Nevada is is viewed by the gaming industry as an amenity to the gambler it is a it is it is no different than them offering you know like a buffet or a nice pool they do not expect to make money off of it they don't want to lose much money but like it's all just like we're going to provide an amenity for gamblers to come in here it's the same way they're now starting to think about table games you know so uh, so the, 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 the there are a lot of sports books here, but outside of, you know, Circa, there's not a lot of sports books where it's like a big part of the um, business. The business is… The gaming business sees sports betting as just being like an amenity to give to people who are going to gamble on other stuff.
1: Right. It's just there as another option mm-hmm. or to have people just go and they put their sports bet in. But it's not the main attraction to why the casino is there and right. where it makes its money. And
2: Derek Stevens and Circa, the, the the gamble that he's taken there with his property is, I think he sees sports betting, you know, as increasing in this, you know, in, in popularity in America right now at this moment. And so he made it the centerpiece of the business and the casino. And if you ever go to Circa, like it's the sports book is front and center. It's humongous. It's like what the, it is the marquee attraction of that property. And I think that, what we'll see from the success of Circa is I think some of these properties out here in Vegas will follow suit. And we're going to start to see these sports books go from, go from being an amenity to becoming a more prominent part of the gaming floor as more and more people who are betting on sports at home, right? People like us who are coming from New York where we're used to like, look, I'm out here right now and uh, I can't, (laughs) I want to get some bets in for this weekend, but I'm not trying to bet them, you know, in the casino because I want to bet it, you know, points better or FanDuel back home. So I got to wait till I get home and I'm probably going to not get the line I want. So bettors who are traveling out here to Vegas and, they want, and they're and they used to betting on sports now have different expectations of what they the sports book should provide to them as a customer than they did before when they never bet on sports and they come to Vegas and it's fun to lay down some money on. So I think we'll see some changes here in Vegas as this, you know, market continues to grow.
1: I'm glad you mentioned that because there's been times where, I'll text a buddy of mine to put in a bet for me. And he's blown away. He's like, dude, you live in the betting capital of the world. I was like, first of all, it's not anymore, right? Like, I think New York with the online gaming, you look at some of the numbers that New York State brings in from a betting perspective, it's, like, astronomical. Yeah, Vegas is, like, I always say, like, Vegas is Disneyland for sports sportswriters. Like, this is going to be the place that you got to go if you're into sports betting. But I'll hit up my buddies and be like, yo, can you put this $20 bet in for me? And they'll be like, dude, come on. Are you kidding me? Like you live in Vegas. I'm like, bro, you don't understand how bad the apps are out here. (laughs) And I'm not trying to leave right now. I was at the UFC pay-per-view over the weekend and I wanted to get a bet in and I couldn't like log into my app. So I had to make, and it's weird. It's like, dude, why now I got to, Send a buddy of mine money when I have money. Like, why am I… You know, it's just these little things. The other side of the coin, though, is that if you bet $50,000, 100000 a game,
2: Vegas is where you have to be. Because right. FanDuel's not going to take a $50,000 bet. But Circa will. You know, FanDuel… DraftKings won't take hundred dollars on a game. But out here, you know, you can get a book to take that kind of action.
1: But they they don't take that based off what? Is it the unknown of who the better is or is it just their handles aren't?
2: Yeah, I think that there's two different types of sports books, right? There's what we call a recreational book whose business model is to book to people who are going to make $20 bets parlays. And so their business is volume. How How many of those $20 parlay bets can I get? And that they spend a lot of money on marketing and promotions and trying to capture as big of an audience they can. And then, you know, there are books that are more market maker books. So these here in Vegas that would be Circa, uh, but offshore would be Pinnacle and Bet Chris. These are sports books who make their business not from volume of small bets, but from taking on very large bets. Tip, tradi- you know, most, a lot of times from professional betters, and also from taking that those that action, maybe getting it having some positions that they take on their own. They operate much more like trading, uh, like a like a Wall Street mm. investment firm would. They treat their business much more like a hedge fund or a you know what I'm saying? Like a stock, like a Goldman Sachs would. Where, yeah, maybe they know they're taking a huge bet from a very sharp gambler, but then they have a position and they have to decide how much of this position do we want to lay off, how much of this position do we want to let ride, how much is this, you know, how is this a part of our portfolio? And that's how they book. So FanDuel, DraftKings, they are a rec, a retail book. They 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 want customers to come in and make small bets where we're taking much the worst of it, and over time, you know, and they're happy to pay out, you know, uh. Parlay, you know, they're happy to pay this guy uh fifty k on a par on a twenty six dollar bet because it's great. It's great marketing for them that that guy won because most of us aren't going to win those. And all that fifty k they gave him was just all the rest of our money we lost anyway. So that's the two different kinds of sports books I think that operate in this business. And then there's some that are in between, like out here. We also have um the super book out at the Westgate, which I think is a little bit in between those two books, right? Where they are a very sharp book. They do take big bets, maybe not as big as. Circa, maybe they do from some customers. They profile people pretty hardcore. Oh, there's also South Point. South Point's Mm -hmm. another book here in Vegas that I think is is sort of in
1: the middle of those two extremes. How do you feel about these contests that go on? Because I'm currently in a contest. I have a chance to win some serious money. And it's probably been the best football season I've ever had. I, on the Patreon, I give out like the five plays that I actually submit in the contest. And we were having this conversation before we started recording how… Oftentimes, I'll lock in the numbers of my contest on Tuesday, yeah, and then by the time I record my show on Friday, or I'll put <laughs> it in the Discord, it's like, man, I got, I got the Browns last week at plus six and a half at open. It closed at plus four.
2: Yeah, yeah. I write the, uh, I write the weekly um, NFL column for the New York Times, and I pick all the games against the spread, and I file my column Tuesday nights, Wednesday mornings of columns online on Thursday and it's in the paper on Sunday. And those lines are dead by then. Yeah, so people get mad. They're like, where am I supposed to get this line? But what am I supposed to do? When I file it, I'm given the number that's there when I file and that's the number I'm betting at. I'm sorry that it's stale, but that's that's the <laughs> part of, the, you know, it's a it's a ever-moving target. Yeah. But I, mean, I, I love contests. I think the contests are incredible. I think it's a great sort of segment of this business. For sure.
1: Yeah, I think they're not utilized as much as they should be. Truthfully. And I'm not just saying it because like I have a good chance now. I'm 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 in a contest that I'm looking at some serious money despite having a little hiccup last week, went two and three. But I think it's a small fee for the most part to get in. Or even if you do some of these contests where it's like a thousand dollar buy in, I look at it as like the upside of potentially winning first is like a hundred X what your average Sunday better would be. So, yeah. I've always liked entering a contest. It's very similar to fantasy football. It's also why I love futures. Like, I'm a big futures better. I, I would say, like, the majority of my units are on futures throughout the year. Are yeah. they sucker bets? Yes. I'm well aware. But I also… Not always. Not always. And, and, like, right now, I have one on Argentina for the World Cup. I got them at plus 550. Now, it's a pick for the game on Sunday as they go into the final, it's like, yeah, taking it earlier, I have better odds I mean, I I plug another,
2: I plug my friend's business, you
1: know, Rufus,
2: who I was talking about before, who I did the episode of the show on, um, him and uh, Jack Andrews had this business called Unabated and they offer a lot of tools to sports bettors and one of the things they have is a season simulator, you know, where they, it's a tool that they've used for their betting for many years and now they have sort of released it for more folks to use and like, you can find real value. It's, you know, you, you put in your own power ratings for the teams and it does a Monte Carlo simulation. You simulate the season 10,000 times. You can simulate, uh, it'll simulate in those simulations, injuries, potential injuries to quarterbacks that could, you know, things like that that can really change the season. And it'll give you a price based on those simulations of what the what a fair price should be. And you can look in the market if you trust your own power ratings and you can usually find, you know, you won't find it for every team. And for, I, I got a lot of futures this season because I used that tool where I was betting on some teams where I wasn't sure you know what I mean? It seemed weird that the, the numbers came out the way they did, but I went for it, and now it looks like I might cash on some of these. So, like, there's value in futures the earlier you get in. You know, at the beginning of the season, there's so much unknown mm. that there is, you know… So, people say there's no value because there's so much juice. Well, that's, you know, that's… There's not necessarily… It just depends on whose power ratings you trust. So, I think the futures is an interesting are interesting bets if you, you know, approach it methodically.
1: And also there's a big appeal to them too, because you could get a guy to lead the league in rushing and he might be forty to one. And that's what people want, right? They don't yeah, they wanna put up they wanna put up a hundred dollars to win four thousand. They course. don't wanna put up they never wanna put up four hundred to win a hundred. And especially not when they're locking their money up the whole season. Exactly. And so the longer I'm
2: tying my money up, the bigger payoff I want. Because Can you imagine, like, uh, you know, an even money bet, but you have to wait till the end of the season to cash it? You know, that's too much of your bankroll that you're locking up in jail for that
1: time. That's why I always, when I talk about futures, is I can't tell you when I bet a favorite to win an award or to win a championship because of what you said. If I'm going to put a $1,000 on a team to win a championship or someone to win MVP— I'm not going to wait four or five months to just win $2,000. Right. I want it to be at least 8,000, 8 to 1, 9 to 1. Like you said, it's a long-term kind of investment. Right. Where um now I'm assed out. I don't have… Right. I don't a, have any money, I don't to have no money to play with. Yeah. It's, I have $2,000 pending in futures, but I, I have to deposit now. or I have to go and find money to put these five games against the spread. Right. But it's the same the the analogy is the same with like fantasy football. People love fantasy football. It's, you're basically playing futures, right? And the same with the
2: contests. And I think this is to your point where one of the appeals to a, of contests contest is it's sort of the best of both worlds. You're betting a future, you're putting this money up that at the end of the season will pay off for you, but you this idea that because I lock my money up I don't get to play, you do get to play. You still every week to week get to do your handicapping and make your cho- decisions and that's fun. And you get to do that all season as long as you're in the contest. So it kind of has the best of both worlds between a future and also betting sides week to week.
1: Right, because each week you are going into it with, I need to find the five winners for me to do well in this contest and continue to climb up the ranks. But also I'm getting my fix in because I could tell you, David, from watching these games, I'm so locked in where I don't even have any money on the game at the moment. But I'm sweating out the Chiefs being up 27-0 on Denver. And I took Denver plus nine and a half. And I'm like, oh my God, why am I betting on shitty offenses? (laughs) Like I came on the pod on Monday with, shouts to Kenny, my guy Kenny. Uh, He's a professional better out in Jersey. And we've been doing this uh, recurring segment. It's like Monday winners. Like Mm -hmm. he's been doing the show now. It's been about five weeks. And dude, we're like 11-1-1 on games that we give out on Monday. Like you said, the lines are changing. And... We come on and I was like, dude, new rule, man. I know we like we like numbers. We don't like teams. But you know what? If you have a shitty offense, I don't care how many points you're catching. Like the Giants, I took the Giants plus seven against the Eagles. Yeah. The moment they went down 14 nothing, I'm like, oh, this game's over. Yeah, but Denver covered. Denver covered, but they got lucky. They got some turnovers, <laughs> right? Like turnovers. If I knew for a fact that my team was going to get three turnovers, I'd probably pick 80% against the spread. Turnovers yeah, but- are so outrageous and so volatile that you don't know. Yeah. But going back to this thing with the contest, I personally feel as if that's the future of sports betting. The peer-to-peer betting, taking the DFS tournament style head-to-head, but using it amongst your peers.
2: I mean, look, that's both the past and the future. Last time I was on your show, one of the things we talked about is how everything old is new again, right? Yeah. And it's funny because as new people get introduced to this world of sports betting, More and more people are gonna wake up and be like, why am I paying all this VIG? (laughs) Why am I not just bet with my friends? And that's what we used to do before anyway. So why don't we just go? You know, I tell people that all the time. My friends will be will be texting in our text thread and somebody will say, like, I like, I'm I'm thinking I'm betting this team. And I'm like, Well, I like the other team, so let's bet each other. Right. Why are you gonna go give FanDuel (laughs) the VIG? Let's just book each other's action and leave them out of it. And I'm constant and my friends sometimes think I'm crazy and they're like, Well, I don't wanna take your money. And it's like Don't worry about it, man. I'm going to bet this game anyway. I'd rather—I feel better paying you than paying DraftKings. So don't worry—don't sweat this sort of hard feelings or whatever because I'm already going to bet it. It's not like you came knocking on my door saying you want it. We both disagree on this game. Let's bet each other. And I feel like as more and more people figure this out, they're going to stop giving their money to the sports book.
1: And also, the best best of those conversations is I'll, I'll watch a game or I'll watch a fight with some friends and they'll ask me, "Who do you got?" And I'll say, "Oh, I got this fighter." Like, nah, I, I think the other guy's gonna win. And They'll be like, "Let's bet on it." I'm like, "All right, you gonna give me odds, or are we going?" No, nah, no, nah, sure. just heads up, 100-100. I was like, "No, I'm not gonna do that." <laughs> I was like, "My guy's a three to one dog. I'd right. rather just go and bet that right. at the book, as opposed to betting with you." Like, nah, man, I'm trying to make some money here. Yeah, also. in that case, you should not be betting with them. But you
2: know, people should give the give a fair price. But like, when I was doing the Super Bowl episode of my show with Rufus, and we were at the sports, we were at the Westgate. On the Super Bowl, and the line was, like, through the door to bet, which I also think is wacky, too. Like, you showed up on game day to make your bet. Now you're going to stand in line for two hours to make a bet. But I was interviewing people in the line. I talked to these two guys. They were friends. And I was like, who are you betting on? He's like, I'm betting the Rams. Who are you betting on? I'm betting Cincinnati. I was like, why are you guys standing in line? Bet each other. Bet each other. They're like, no, I don't want to do that. It's not the same… They felt like there was something kind of fun about betting with the sports book. I was like, "All right, well, for fun, you're paying ten percent juice, so you might as well bet each other and not and go get a drink and not wait in line."
1: Yeah, you're waiting in line. You're you're giving your money to the casino. <laughs> like you said, I, I like that about. I'd rather give my money to David than to give it to the books. Like they're making enough money anyway.
2: Yeah, and I'm gonna get it back because uh, you know, you just got lucky, so uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Gonna, and, but that's the thing. Like people are learning, you know, as people get introduced to this whole world, like. They're learning about odds. They're learning about, you know, gambling. And they'll start betting with each other. They may start booking each other's action. And I think that's the way it used to be before these sports books kind of enter our lives anyway. And it's simpler and easier and cleaner. So I think a lot, a lot of sports fans will sort of turn to that.
1: But also the the idea that I have and how I see this going is you get a group of 10 buddies and maybe you, maybe you have a winner takes all, right? There's 10 of you. The pot is $1,000. Maybe the fee to the casino. They're, st- they're still going to get something out of it. let mm-hmm. say first place is 900 bucks, And it's like, well, I don't need to beat the book. And I don't need to beat the public. I just need to beat these other nine guys. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. I do think peer-to-peer betting is the future. Of- already, that's
2: what fantasy football already is for most people. They start their own leagues. Right. And they all collect money and they pay each other out. So like, okay, so we've been doing that for years now. Why don't we do the same thing where we pick the pick against the spread. Or survivor pools are now big too, you know. Uh, I had some friends who I don't think have ever played in an actual survivor pool at a sports book who this season were like, let's do a survivor pool. So that's catching on, I can see. And survivor pools, I think, are another way that people are like, you know, taking these ideas that the sports book came up with and they're just like, let's just do it ourselves.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a wins pool this year for the first time. You ever heard of those? Mm-hmm. So for those that don't know, there was 10 of us. It was a pretty significant buy-in and it was like a snake draft. And you drafted teams and only two teams didn't get picked. I think it was the Texans were one of them and the Bears were the other. So each of us have three teams and the collective amount of wins from the three teams whoever had the most wins uh, ends up winning the pool. I took the Eagles. The Chargers were my third overall pick. I took the Eagles. And uh, then I took the Patriots. Yeah. So I'm kind of in the discussion. Yeah. Uh, didn't think the Chargers season would play out the way it has. But those those that's another example of like a wins Yeah, I have a, a group
2: of people that I used to do a March Madness brackets with every year. And this year they come up and said, let's do a Calcutta auction. And I was like, you know, it was like, you know, music to my ears because I love the idea of Calcutta auctions. And it just is so cool that um, these kinds of concepts that are kind of common in the world of gambling are now seeping out into the broader sports culture. Um, And people are seeing that this is a fun way to play these games, you know, instead of just filling out a bracket, we could do a Calcutta auction and put a little more thought into this and have a little bit more fun with the way that we're betting on it. So... Yeah. I think people are wising up. You know, people are getting smarter about how they think about gambling and how they think about betting on sports and how they think about how do we, about the way I like to think of it is the games that we play alongside the game, right? Mm. The athletes are playing the game. We're all watching it. But what we're doing is we're creating our own games that we can play, you know, alongside of what they're doing, whether it's fantasy sports, whether it's contests, you know, betting on the games, whatever. These are just games that we as spectators can play so that we become less passive in
1: our uh,
2: participation in this, you know, form of entertainment.
1: Yeah, and I think what you're saying of, what you're saying with that, with the more information and more knowledge about sports betting, it's two completely different animals. The sports betting side and like the actual sports fan, because I don't know about you, but for me, the dumbest sports bettors I know are my friends that know the most about the sport they're betting
2: on. 100%. Yeah.
1: And they can't seem to understand you bet numbers, not teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course this team's going to win. They're going to, you know, they're, they're minus 1,200, but are they going to cover the points? It's not as easy as you think. Mm-hmm. Like everyone, the most popular sport to bet on is football. It's the hardest one to bet on. That's right. Of. We've That's had right. this conversation as well. But… It's it's a weird dynamic, man, because I have friends that could list the 12th guy off the Lakers bench, the, the, the all-time leading scorer on this team, that team, whatever it might be, but they can't bet. They just don't understand that we, aspect of it. We saw the perfect example this last
2: week when um, Minnesota played Detroit. Yeah. And people were shocked because when the lines came out and Detroit was the favorite, <laughs> people couldn't believe it. They were like but but the vikings are what were well, they 10 and 2 where they were 10, 10 and 1 10 and 2 i don't remember what their record was last week i guess they were 10 and 1 but they people couldn't believe it they were like how could this lowly you know lions team be the favorites and what the sports you know what professional betters and sharp betters were saying was these are two very closely matched average teams and what i heard from even my own friends was like how can you say minnesota is average look at their record and I say, wins and losses are not a stat. Wins and losses don't happen. You know, they're not a stat. That that, that has nothing to do with nothing. Every week, teams are matched up with, you know, different teams. They, they're not playing everybody. It's not round robin. And, you know, they're playing on different fields. There's a lot of variance that happens in games. Minnesota might be the worst 10-2 and team in history, people think, because— the negative, yard, net negative yards that they've had. You point know, differential. Point differential. They've had a lot of games that came down to one score where they were on the right side. Look at the Buffalo game. Perfect example. That game was over, right? Buffalo had the game one, and they fumble it, you know, into the end zone, and, and that, that, that turns into a touchdown. The whole thing changes. So there's a lot of games like that this season for Minnesota. And people looked at that, and they were like, this is— the, you know, what's going on here? This is so obvious. We're all going to bet Minnesota. And then there was a whole nother version of Gambler who said, ah, but this is a trap line. The, the sports book did this to trap us, to trick us, which is also asinine, right? The number is right. Yeah. And we saw that in the end. We saw that in, in, in the final score, I think, bore that out. But the number was right. Nobody was trying to trap anybody. There was no trickery going on. The 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 The, the pure, you know, power ratings for those teams going into that game on that field produced that number and the number held up. The market believed in the number. All these rec betters that were like, I'm betting Minnesota. This is, you know, this is ridiculous. Their money did not move the number because the the sports book believed in that number as being a 50-50 number and I think they were on the money. So this is where we see that people, sports fans, their own knowledge of the sport or whatever, doesn't always translate into being able to identify good bets in
1: the market. Yeah, I'll be honest with you, man. That game, I felt like it was a trap game. I was saying to everyone that would ask me about that, it's like, I'm not betting it. Like, I don't think you need to bet every game. I was like, I don't really have, I don't feel comfortable because I also have the built in bias of Minnesota coming into the year because my top two seeds in the NFC are the top two seeds right now. I was very, very high on the Eagles this year. I have a 30 to 1 that they're going to have the best record in football. Nice. And their schedule now, they got two games against Dallas. So I'm hoping. They could take care of business so I could cast that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But my built-in buys from the beginning of the year was Minnesota being really good. So when those kind of conversations I'm having in my head and then I'm looking at that line, it's like, you know what? I'm just going to pass. <laughs> Cowboys, 17-point favorites against Houston. Yeah. I I didn't bet it. I didn't have it in my contest. But I was telling a lot of people in the Discord, I'm I'm taking Houston or passing. Yeah. Like, there's no way that I'm taking the Cowboys in that situation. That's a lot of points. Professional team, the whole nine, and the conversation around around both of those squads are, you know, two it's different biggest, directions.
2: It's the biggest point spread of the season. Right. For
1: any game. Right. So, I feel like there are certain bets that you just just shouldn't make. And that was a game where… where were you, Did you like the lines in that I one? I picked the lines. Yeah. But to me, it was… I wasn't going to knock you if you picked Minnesota or Detroit. It was just a stay away from me. Well, I can't
2: stay away because the New York Times requires me to pick every game uh, every week. Oh, okay. So I, I have to pick um, every game against the spread each week, which really kind of sucks. And my record has to be public. So there's a lot of pressure on me because I agree with you. I don't. I would never bet every game every week. I don't think anybody should bet every game every week. But I got to pick them. And sometimes I look at these games and I'm like, man, this is so close. I really think you're just flipping a coin. But I have to flip that coin. But I will say that that was one where I did not think that there was a coin flip. I really believed in Detroit uh, covering that spread. And I did bet money on Detroit as well as pick them in the paper. But I had that Dallas game as a good example last week where I picked Dallas. I would have never bet that game. Right. I would have never bet it. I would have never pulled money out of my pocket to bet either side in that game. You know, I actually felt that Dallas, my numbers had Dallas being 15-point favorites. So I actually didn't think they could cover the number. But… I kind of overthought it and I started thinking about how Houston's shuffling quarterbacks, you know what I mean? And like, and, and, and I got a little bit, you know, I thought, whatever, I don't want to, I'm going to bet Dallas. I'm going to pick Dallas in the paper. I I got burned there. Now this week you got Houston against uh, Kansas city. They're getting 14 points and I'm, you know, and I guess I learned my lesson because I'm picking Houston. So, you know, you're right. Those double-digit spreads are big in the NFL. It's very hard to cover those numbers. It's not impossible, but it's very tough. And I think um, people look at these games and they say, oh, yeah, KC, they're so much better than Houston. They're definitely two touchdowns better than Houston. It's like, okay, well, why weren't they two touchdowns better than Denver? Mm. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there were turnovers. But, like, this is what happens in these games. The NFL is garbage time comes into play. And the backdoor cover. How many games this season have we seen where there have been backdoor covers? That's the thing you had to be aware of as a gambler. And if you think there's even a, a likelihood of that happening, you should be betting the dog and pl- rooting for it or just stay away, stay yeah, away yeah. from the
1: game. It, uh, there's been so many games this year where it's dog or pass for me. Yeah. The last two weeks with the Broncos, dog or pass. There was no way that I would take Baltimore. Two weeks ago, there was no way that I was taking Kansas City last week. It was a straight dog or pass for me. And you do that, you would have done very well this season if you just stuck
2: to that the whole season because the dogs have done great this season. So… Stay away from the game if you can't
1: talk yourself into the dog. (laughs) You know, what popped into my head when you were talking about Minnesota and Detroit and you were looking at the records and how a lot of people were saying, how can this team only be favored by that one? With me, that happens a lot in the NCAA tournament. I'm Mm -hmm. not a college basketball guy at all. I barely watch the NCAA tournament, to be honest with you. I'm not a fan of college sports like that. But you'll see certain graphics that'll show a a 6 versus 11 seed. And then the 11 seed would beat the 6 seed and ESPN and all these networks are saying, oh, upset, upset in the tournament, uh, a 12 beat a 5. But then I will go back and I look at the line and they'd have the 12 seed favorite. Yeah. It's like, is it really an upset? Yeah. And who do, do people
2: even question how the seeding works? You know right, what I mean? Right, like, right, So, yeah, I think that's true. If people do that with their bra- office March Madness brackets too, where they just pick the best seed in every <laughs> game. Obviously, that doesn't work. You know what I mean? the 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 whole notion of a Cinderella story in the in the in the NCAA tournament is so um it's so commonplace because it happens multiple times every year, right? Because all these there's so well there's a lot of variance in college basketball. There is a huge gap between the, you know, the first seed and the last seed in college basketball for sure, but you know, it's not I think people should think about the fact that like we've had a lot of lowly seated teams go deep in the tournament year after year after year after. Why does that happen? You know, it happens in this sport because it's a sport where there's not a ton of parity, but there's also a lot of variance. What's a game that you have your eyes on for this week? Well, I, I've got a few games that I would bet if I wasn't in Vegas right now. If I was in New York, I could still catch the number. <laughs> um, but uh, I like Minnesota against uh, the Colts this week. I think the Colts are just, man and what are we laying now four points yeah four and a half look at that see that number's moving no you can still get four some places you can still get four and it's not even juiced at DraftKings kings and caesar so well, there's still places that have the four so get the four if you like them but I like I like Minnesota,
1: Minnesota so Minnesota is I always like looking at a team that loses the week before that I perceive to be a good team they would tend to bounce back like what happened to Minnesota against Dallas, how they got the doors blown off them. And then yep. the next week on Thanksgiving, it, they closed that minus two and a half against the Patriots. That was my favorite bet of the week. And yeah, did they get a little lucky? A couple of breaks, the Hunter Henry thing that went down. Also, it was something that went in our favor if you we were back in Minnesota. But this would be a spot where Minnesota loses to Detroit. And I believe they could wrap the division with a win here. It, well, especially parlayed with a Lions loss,
2: I've got them winning by six and a half. So I think in four is a good bet. That's what my numbers come up to.
1: So yeah, if you think if you think Minnesota is perceived to be a good team, like I do, I think this would be a place where you would take them to bounce back. Yeah, and I
2: mean not. I think my my number is based less on Minnesota, where I'm a little shaky on the number. Like I said, I think they're pre- pre- pretty average team. You know, the their Massey Peabody Power Ranking has them at like negative 0.24 against a against an average team on the neutral. The thing is, is that the Colts are just so bad. Mm. They're nearly five points worse than the average team on a neutral field. So that's where you come up with this. And then you give, you know, you give Minnesota some home field advantage. And I think Minnesota's home field advantage is significant. You know, a lot of teams don't have any real home field advantage, but some teams have a lot. You know what I mean? Like the whole notion of home field advantage is still very mystical in the world of NFL uh, handicapping. What is it worth? How many points is it really worth to the line? Where I come out on this is that I think it's better to be conservative about home field advantage, but some teams actually seem to have a pretty good home crowd and do well at home. Minnesota is one of those teams. Seattle, obviously, you know, is is, is one of those uh, places to go and do. There's some teams like in LA where, like, forget about it, right? Like, I mean... uh. The, that Raiders Chargers game, there were more Raiders fans there than there were Chargers. Fans, yeah, you know what I mean. Like the Chargers were on, a, they might as well have been playing away because there was no one cheering for them. Even though they, you know, they won, it was great, but it was, you know, like there's, I mean, the Rams. I'm sorry, not the Chargers, but same city. Like the the Rams have very little home field advantage. So you know, Minnesota is a team that I think gets 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 a, a a a little bit better than a point.
1: Yeah, there there are a couple of teams. Them, I'd say Green Bay, Green Bay for sure, Pittsburgh. And Denver
2: for the weather… Uh, for the, the… Just the, the altitude. Yeah. I think the altitude. A factor.
1: For sure. For sure. Kansas City is another one. Buffalo especially this time of year. Mm-hmm.
2: But Arrowhead is a great place to play for the home team. Yeah. 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 For sure. Jacksonville not so good. You know there's some places where the fans just don't show. They don't show up. They're just not… They're not loud. It doesn't matter.
1: One of my favorite bets of the weekend… In the last couple of weeks… The the uglier the game, the more in love I am with it. Why do I love Chicago plus nine against Philly at home? <laughs>
2: I can't go. I can't. We I fade you there, man.
1: I think Chicago. We don't even know if Fields is going to play. He might be sick. Right? If now if Fields plays, if okay. I, I'm I'm talking about this right now, and in the event that Justin Fields is out, we're scratching this entire take. Yeah. Okay, However, fair. Nine points for Fields.
2: Well, let's see what it is right now.
1: Coming off a bye. Philly is in a sandwich spot in between two divisional games. They got the Cowboys next week for potentially the division. I think this feels like a look-ahead spot. I think Chicago with Justin Fields and how electric he is, if he is playing, I think they could keep this game close. I'm not going to go out and say that they're going to beat them outright, but I think this could be one of those games where Scott Hansen on red zone goes... Let's cut to Chicago where Philly has the ball now <laughs> down four in the fourth quarter. You're like, holy shit, what the hell? How, how is this happening? I
2: feel like the the problem is that even if Fields plays, even if he's healthy and he plays, they got to protect this man. He just went out with an injury. Yeah. You know what I mean? In a similar situation where it's like, look, you're done. You're not making the playoffs. Are you really going to make this man run for 80 yards today? You know, are you really going to do this to this man? So I feel like even if he plays, there's going to be some conservative play calling around Justin Fields that will limit their upside. So that's why I still like Phil and look the other side of that is that Philadelphia even if the, even if it is a look ahead game for them and they're trying to take it easy in Chicago, what does that mean? What does take it easy means? It means they're not going to wear out their running backs. they're not going to ask their quarterback to scramble and put himself in harm ways harm's way. but are they going to ask him to throw some dots? you know, to the sideline, to some really talented receivers? Yes, and they will catch them because Chicago won't be able to defend and they will score. So like a team that has a good uh, passing offense, you know, even when they're laying back and playing pretty easy, can still put up lots of points. It's these teams that need to win on the ground that when they're trying to take it easy and, and not get hurt, they're the ones that are
1: at a disadvantage because they got to play physical football to win a game. Mm.
2: Philadelphia doesn't need to play physical football They can to win play a finesse, game. yeah. Yep.
1: No, that makes sense. And that goes back to what I was saying about taking shitty offenses. And what I mean by shitty offenses, I mean teams like the Giants, like Denver, like Tennessee, where if the ground game isn't going, these teams are not going to be able to put up points or to even stay in the game. Yeah. So, to me, I do do really like Chicago, man. I think the uglier the game sometimes. Catching nine points at home, off the bye. And like I said, Philly, I believe— That stuff a little bit and when I used to do the podcast with Will Blackman I would ask him about these kind of things because these are all conversations that we're having amongst ourselves as betters and as fans and he would say he's like yeah dude I'm not going to lie and tell you that every time we saw Jacksonville on the schedule way back when or we saw the Raiders on the schedule way back when we weren't saying "Ah, we should be able to you know cruise by this team we don't need to run Justin Fields 12 times this game Couple, There was a stretch where I was taking unders on Jalen Hurts because Jalen Hurts would have like a 45 and a half rush prop. And I'm like, dude, they don't need him to beat this team that they're right. favored by 12 points. Right? It's like, they're going to run him when they play Dallas, when, it's close. when they play Minnesota, That's they play right. at Kansas City. Why are you going to run him when you're playing the Texans? It was the Texans game, actually, on right. Thursday Night Football. I remember it now. They were a 14-point favorite on the road in Houston. On Thursday Night Football. It's like, dude, Gainwell and Boston Scott could win the game for you. That's Let's right. not jeopardize our quarterback. So, maybe we do look at something like that for Jalen Hurts this week. Mm-hmm. If, if you know, piggybacking off this little trend that I've been on with, with Philly and him. But I do, like, I do like Chicago, man. Plus nine. It was the first game I looked at and I was like, man, David, I don't know, man. I think the uglier the game, the, the sure. more excited I get.
2: Well, I'm taking some dogs. I'm taking Houston, like I mentioned before. I think I'll an, probably eat my I, words there. I think
1: an auto play, auto play is Tampa Bay at home
2: to to play
1: t- Tampa Bay. Yeah, I'm done betting them. I'm not. I'm not picking them the rest of the
2: season. I've been on the wrong side of every Buccaneers game I picked. When I pick them, they can't cover. When I don't pick them, they cover. I'm done with them. You could give me 20 points. I'm not. I'm not picking Tampa Bay. I'm, it's. I'm done with them. So it's it's the Bengals all the way for me this week. Mainly because I'm so salty about last week because I picked them last week, but also I just think that like, look, the Bengals are really. This is the same thing happened to them last season too, yep. right? So we are seeing them déjà vu picking up the speed, running down the hill, and I think I think the Bengals go into Tampa Bay and they you know beat the brakes off of them because I think they're they they're showing everybody like you know we're back, we've you know we're we're clicking on all cylinders, so like. Uh, Three and a half points, is that where it's still at? Yeah. I'll lay it. I mean, I make the game, you know, what did I make it? I I got the home team here. Even if Tampa Bay what is this what is the line?
1: Plus We're, three and a half for Tampa.
2: Yeah. Plus three and a half. I think it's I yeah, I got I got the Bengals covering that number. I think that Tampa loses this game by
1: uh
2: Sorry, I can't
1: vote my number. So, so I agree and disagree with you on a couple of things. I do think that Cincinnati right now is buzzing. And there's a lot of deja vu as far as… It was around this time last year that they started to get hot. And they had those wins over Kansas City and Baltimore where everyone's like, Huh, what's happening in Cincy? And then before you know it, they're in the Super Bowl. I like buying into media narratives. And everyone is… Brady lost to a rookie. Brady lost to someone for the first time that they're starting. And uh, everything that's happening in Brady's personal life. And Carolina is a a sneaky… I saw someone put money on Carolina to win the division at, like, plus 450. It's like, guys, let's not get crazy.
2: I don't think it's crazy.
1: I think it is. If plus 450, I would take it. I think Tampa Bay, this is is a game where it's the spot. It's the spot. Everyone is on Cincinnati and the Joe Burrow love. He's in the MVP discussion. And rightfully so. I'm not disagreeing with that. But it's the conversation around Cincinnati. They're on a five-game winning streak. They're tied for first in their division. They actually have a sneaky outside chance at a bye week. Because they do have yeah. the win over Kansas City. Yeah. And I think it's a lot of momentum that's pro-Cincinnati right now, where I think it might be a good time to fade them. And and Tampa's in a desperate spot, too. They are. I mean, they,
2: they want to stay where they're at. They got to win games, especially if Carolina is going to keep win, winning games behind them. But uh, the thing is that the market has overvalued the Buccaneers all season long, and the market's only starting to catch up to them now. With what, and, very fair and Tampa, you know, Tampa Bay's offense is not what I think people thought it was going to be. It's very dink and dunk. There's no run game at all. You know, it's very one dimensional, and teams are figuring out how to scheme pretty pretty effectively against them. Uh, Brady right now because they know that look his his uh his passes over ten and twenty yards his long passes they're not Tom Brady passes anymore they're not you know y- you can blame on the receivers if you want and it seems like he wants to a lot it's him like he's not he's 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 not as accurate on the longer passes and so you can see that he's really leaning into short passes and screens and it's not working so I think that this is a team that's really got some fundamental issues that are easy for teams to scheme against. The Bengals' defense are are, are formidable, and um, I would say that the Buccaneers' defense, who are good and who have kept this team where they're at this whole season, hasn't been Tom Brady, they they owe a lot to their defense. You know, that defense is going to have to um, keep them in this game. If they're going to cover three and a half, it'll be because of the defense. It won't be because of anything that the offense does. That's how I feel about it, but I'm still... Even if the numbers are close, I'm, I'm just taking Cincinnati on principle alone. There's no math involved there or analytics. It's just me hating the Buccaneers at this point. I kind of feel better about here in this. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Fade me because this is a purely emotional play. So okay. fade Dave. I, I
1: like when emotions get into yes. it because I also said this on, <laughs> on I, I put out a clip about this that I can't wait. Everyone is making fun of Brady and everything that he's gone through and the team not being good and how he should have retired. When he should have retired, and I'm saying, guys, get have your fun now because I'm telling you, Wild Card Weekend, they're going to be a four point dog at home against Dallas, and I'm I'm emptying the Patreon money on that, David.
2: Yeah, like, I'll tell you they're, what. They're, I would, if I was an NFL team, I would obviously love to have Tom Brady as our, my quarterback, even right now today. But the problem, in my opinion, is that Bulls is letting Brady coach the team and call the, call his own shots. You saw him tell the field goal unit to get off the field last week. That's a problem because I think we're, you know, Brady, the problem with Brady is that he thinks he's a different quarterback than he really is. And that's making him less effective than he could be. He could be, he's so much better than so many other quarterbacks in the NFL. And this is the same problem we're seeing with Aaron Rodgers. Like if you accept, I would say another quarterback that really suffers from this is probably, uh, is probably Russell Wilson who thinks still that he can scramble the way that he used to. These guys got to adjust to being older You know, they got to adjust to what has happened to their bodies and their abilities and what they should bring to their team is this incredible amount of knowledge and leadership and, you know, and like um, uh, ability to sort of see the defense and read the defense and think of themselves as being that kind of an asset to their team and not like, I'm going to bail this team out with like some miracle pass, you know, or some like last, you know, (laughs) last minute, fourth quarter, you know, uh, dramatic drive down the field. Which we've seen plenty of from Brady this season, but why is he putting himself in a position to have to do that over and over again? So if I was a head coach, I'd love to have Brady, except for the fact that he seems very uncoachable. <laughs>
1: mm. Yeah, that makes sense. And even on Monday night football, if Mark Ingram just picks up that first down, which the moment it happened, I I was texting my buddies. Actually, I was on Xbox with my friends. We were watching the game and just kind of talking. And I said, Oh, they're they're losing this game. That's a bad that's that's a bad omen right there. And the play was Mark Ingram had the first down and he just stepped out of bounds. And yeah. then it turns out that he was injured and that's why he did it. But it's like that that one play there, then they throw a slant to a receiver way Andy Dalton. They stop the clock because it's incomplete. And then they punt the ball away. And then before you know it, you're like, yo, Brady, Brady's going to do it again. And yep. that's exactly what happened. He did it. Hey, I want to end this show with uh, some soccer talk from a World Cup perspective. What is your level of interest in soccer just in general? Like, are you someone that watches throughout the year? Do you just tune in for major tournaments? And there's not a wrong answer. I'm just always fascinated by how people approach soccer. I'm a very pedestrian soccer fan. You know, I got young kids, so I go to a lot of soccer. (laughs) They play a lot
2: of soccer. What's cool about kids and youth soccer is that they end up having a little bit of peripheral interest in professional soccer too. So we are um, Red Bull New York fans, you know. uh, we, We go to Red Bull games a lot which is a fun thing to do if you got kids and you live in the New York area because it's like the best value for your money in professional sports. They get a good seed probably. They, assume, have amazing, right? yeah. they have an amazing arena. It's cheap to go. You can go for 25 bucks and have have a ton of fun. Um, but, uh, yeah, we watched the World Cup and we've been watching the World Cup, you know, the whole tournament. And, um, you know, my kids have been very into it. And I, I always watch the World Cup. I think it's fun. I, I, I watch, uh, you know, I watch the big you know, the the championship events sometimes with Premier League and with MLS too, you know, I'll follow my team and then I'll follow like the playoffs and that's about it. Um, but I've been following this World Cup and it's been a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, for for all the heat that it got coming in because it got moved from the summer and it was in Qatar, a place that is, I mean, we could dedicate a whole podcast series mm-hmm. to all the chaos that goes down over there. It's, it's been pretty entertaining. There've been some fun games, fun matchups cool moments. Mm-hmm. Getting to see countries like Morocco and Croatia, even the, the Asian countries making it to the next round like South Korea and and Japan also. You saw the U.S. make it to the next round. You saw some some upsets which people like also. You had the biggest upset in World Cup history. Yep. Saudi Arabia beats Argentina. and that then was really cool. Now no one even cares about that because Argentina made it all the way to the final. So it's been a pretty cool World Cup. And I do want to talk a little bit about the The final. Argentina's play in France. Kind of a duh. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, I kept harping on this with the World Cup preview. Once again, this is going to be 14 straight tournaments that we're going to have a winner from the top six. A top six favorite is going to win the World Cup. And that's what happens in these major tournaments, especially the World Cup. It's like the cream rises to the top. Every time. And you look at the depth of these teams. This is Why? Right. In the group stages, both of them kind of looked a little suspect. And I think it's because when you're in the group stages of these major tournaments, yeah, you might lose, but you don't want to get throttled. You don't want to lose because of gold differential and all these other tiebreakers that go into a yellow cards. This is another tiebreaker, also, which is wild to me. Uh fair play tiebreaker, it's called. Mm-hmm. But now you see Argentina and France. And this is this is a massive, massive game, man. It's two world powers in soccer. You have the France storyline of potentially going back-to-back, back, which, dude, I couldn't have been more wrong. I, I take a massive L on France. I thought they would make it out the group because there's been a trend of the last three World Cup winners. They didn't even make it out the group. But you looked at their group, and it was, you know, Australia and and uh, Tunisia was in it. Denmark was in it. It's like, all right, man, if they can't get out the group, like, people are getting fired for right. not making it out the group. Right, But you know i picked against them in the quarterfinals against england i thought morocco had a chance to beat them in the semis and now they're they're going up against argentina and they have a chance to go back to back and then you have the whole messi messi's legacy thing which to me i think i've come to the conclusion that and this has nothing to do with this world cup from uh who survived and who's still left as to do with this world cup and what Portugal has left behind Ronaldo. I think Cristiano Ronaldo has had the bigger influence and impact on his country from a soccer standpoint. Right. Because, dude, prior to Ronaldo coming on the scene with Portugal, they weren't Portugal like they are now. Right. Like, they were your middling European team, which they'd make it out a group cool. They've had some iconic players in the past, but... They never won a major tournament before he got there. They weren't consistently going to the quarter quarterfinals of major tournaments, semifinals, finals of tournaments. It's like this dude's legacy and impact on the sport of soccer for Portugal and all these young guys. That there were so many players on the Portuguese team and even on the Argentinian team now that have tattoos of Messi and have tattoos of Ronaldo. It's right. like now I'm playing with them. It's like the impact that he's had on Portugal and the country from a soccer standpoint. I think is way more than what Messi's had because Argentina's been there, done that with World Cups. Like, they've had iconic players. They're always going to be a good team. I think Portugal now is only going to be a good team moving forward for decades to come because of Ronaldo. Yeah. Am I making sense with this? Do you, do you follow what I'm saying, though? Yeah, definitely. Like, I think the cultural impact of Ronaldo on Portugal is where he's better. Like, I don't think Messi has had that kind of cultural impact on Argentina because they've had a legacy of countless World Cup wins and just being a successful team. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think that one of the things that that is interesting to me about soccer is the fact that, like you said, the cream always rises to the top and how there is, um, there is sort of this expectation or this understanding that these world powers that you're talking about, you know, like France and Argentina are going to reliably make it to the end every time that you're not going to have a Cinderella story in the world cup. I mean, you kind of did with Morocco, but like they went as far as they could go and it's quite an achievement.
1: Eventually it catches up. It will you. because and it's the same thing that happened with Croatia in the last world cup. Yeah. Same, thing. which dude for Croatia to, and, and shouts to Alan, my, my co-host on VM, he couldn't make it to today's episode because of work purposes, but he's Croatian. And, it was cool to see my entire fan base and audience be like tweeting at Alan like, yo, we had no ties to this, but we were rooting for you because land brings you on the show. We know how hard you rep Croatia. But like you look you look at Croatia too, for them to make a final yep. and then to make a semifinal. And eventually you run into that saw like they did against France in the last World Cup. And right. then they got shellacked. And then what happened to them with Argentina? And it's like, at some point, the talent, just takes over. Well, and the reason is because of the way the game is designed. Right. I mean, why this is interesting
2: to me is because it really it all comes down to the game des- the design of the game, right? American sports that are popular, uh, like football and basketball have so much random so many random events that can that that can throw the outcome one way or the other and um can create some chaos, right? That doesn't exist in soccer. You know, like it is so diff- it is so hard in soccer for a random event to change the outcome of a game because there's so there aren't a lot of points that are scored already, right? So like, talent uh, will make a much bigger difference in a game that's designed in such a way. It's a lot like chess, right? In chess, the best player always wins. There's no luck, you know? So there is a little bit of luck in soccer, but it's not anywhere as extreme as it is in a sport like American football, and I think that's cool. But I also can see how that's frustrating to American sports fans who are used to some of the chaos that exists in sports that we consider to be our entertainment. We want things to be a little crazy. We want to know that an underdog can get lucky and, and 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 knock somebody off a pedestal. You know, we want to know that like a team is never out of it. You know, sometimes it's frustrating to watch a soccer game where you know that like there's just not enough time on the clock and you're down to it. This game is effectively over, but we have to sit here and watch you play the rest of it where that doesn't happen and some of the sports are more popular in America. But I think that that's cool because it, what it means is that the sport, the game is so well-balanced and designed that the best team is always going to win. But yeah, it does mean that it's harder for us to have those kind of underdog stories we love so much in the United States to root for.
1: Yeah, and I think the coolest thing about this game on Sunday is it's going to be a, a rare time in sports where we can see a GOAT conversation be solidified. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Like, Messi winning the World Cup, I think, ends all debates. Yeah. The same way Brady did when he won his fifth Super Bowl. So yeah. It was like, all right, at that point, it's like, it's a wrap. It's no longer it's a true. conversation.
2: As a Brady hater, I have to say that it was definitely a wrap. At, the, at that point, I even I could no longer right. say anything less than this guy's the best that ever lived. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, even his haters yeah. at had, that, to, at that point, had to it, bow
1: down. At that, at that point, it, it locked it in. and And now with Messi on Sunday, if he wins this game… We're going to get to experience, in my opinion, the first time since Brady did it. And like for my generation, like the, you know, 31 and under, we we get to see a GOAT conversation end with a guy that we watched our whole, like mm-hmm. his whole career. Mm-hmm. So for soccer fans that have watched Messi, and even I think a lot of casuals are going to tune into it because he's such a iconic figure. Dude, I think he's like the fourth most followed person in the world. If you take all the social medias. And… It'll, it would lock down the conversation for who the greatest of all time it is. It
2: feels like a lot more Americans are watching World Cup this year than four years ago. It feels like it's got, the audience is really growing and it has nothing to do with the
1: American team being in or not. Well, I think there's a lot of things to that. I think soccer is, has become more accessible. It's easier for you to watch it with all the streaming apps and all these leagues being on ESPN and on Fox. Mm-hmm. I think the time is helping it that they're in the mornings and in the early afternoons on a Tuesday and Wednesday, like we saw the semifinals. It's right. not it's not seven PM on a Friday night where people are going out or or three in the morning. Or yeah, or it's <laughs> going up against a Thursday night football game or yeah or Sunday football. Like this game is gonna be on at seven AM out here in the West Coast, 10 A.m. Eastern time, even if it goes into pens and it ends on penalty kicks, the game will be over before football starts. So I think FIFA is the most popular game in the world. Mm -hmm. Soccer being easier to find what channel it was. Dude, I remember not that long ago, like a decade ago, I used to have to go with my dad to like these shady Italian soccer federation clubs in Queens to watch like a random Champions League game or or watch uh, Juventus and AC Milan play because it was hard for you to find it. And I think there's a big appeal to it because you know when the game's going to end. Well, the media market
2: that's had the the biggest media market for this World Cup has been Austin, Texas, Mm. which is fascinating because it's not a city that you think of having a lot of European immigrants who might be, you know, fans of these teams because they come from these countries or whatever. Uh, So it says something that like that, you know what I mean? It says something about kind of a new new type of American soccer fan. Uh, And I think it might have something to do with a generation of young people who are now gro- who have grown up with soccer because they mm. played it when they were young, you know? And like, that's sort of all over the country. I think there's a whole new generation of, of fans of soccer who came to the sport on their own as young people and fall on their own. It wasn't something that was kind of handed to them by their parents or whatever. I know in your situation, it's different because you grew up with soccer in your family. Right. You know, I grew up in the South in a football family. And, you know, soccer was something I had to kind of discover on my own. I think there's more people like me and people a lot younger than me coming up who have really embraced this game.
1: It's going to be fun, man. It's going to be an absolute bar fight on Sunday. And even, you know, we were singing praises for Messi in Argentina. Mbappe is the same way. This dude is, he's been the FIFA cover boy, I think, three straight years. He's 23 years old. It's wild because a couple of years ago, as we start to wrap this up, a couple of years ago, dude, we did a segment for the Patreon. We called it 25 Under 25. It's like, who are the top 25 athletes under the age of 25 in all sports. And it was, it came down to at the time, it was Giannis and Mbappe as my top two like, picks. And it's like, dude, this, this kid was 19 years old, the best player on a France team that won the World Cup. Yeah. It's like, man, he's going to shatter all the records, uh, transfer free records, goal scoring records, all that. And now he has a chance to do something that a lot of all time greats haven't done. To win, not back, not only back-to-back, but to win two World Cups is crazy because in soccer, for you to be considered an all-time GOAT, you need to win with your national team. Yeah. However, However, it has to do with the country you come from, right? So, like, for Modric, he's considered an all-time great for Croatia because it's like Croatia. But if you play on France, Germany, Brazil, Italy, for you to be considered an iconic player… You gotta win with your national team. Right. And he's done that at 19, has a chance to do that at 23. It's gonna be epic, man. I I would like to see, I would like to see Messi and Argentina win. Uh my pockets would also like to see that because of the <laughs> investment. But it's weird because France is my favorite national team. Oh, yeah. My favorite soccer player of all time is Thierry Henry. So it's gonna be fun, man. I'm looking forward to it, dude. And I'm looking forward to the next time that you come on the show. Uh, anytime you're in Vegas you're always welcome. I love being, I love doing it. It's dope, man. It's dope. And I learn a lot about where we're headed to with sports betting. Anytime that that you're on. So tell the people where they could find you on social media and where you're working on.
2: Yeah, check me out at I'm Dave Hill 77 on uh, Twitter and my website is davidhillonline.com. I'm uh, I host Gamblers on the Ringer Podcast Network and Spotify. Um, you can catch me in the New York Times every Sunday picking the picking the NFL slate for the week. Uh, And yeah, and other than that, just, you know, look for, I'm I'm out here this week covering the World Poker Tour uh, Championship and I've
1: been doing some coverage for them. So yeah, follow me on Twitter and you'll see what I'm up to. Dope, man. This was fun. Thank you all for listening. Subscribe if you haven't. And let people know that you're listening to the show. Tag us on social media and we'll catch you guys next time.